Hi, my name is Chris Little, and I am the host of The Lifestyle Chase. In 2018, I started this show to have meaningful conversations. I've interviewed over a hundred different people, both in and out of the fitness industry. This podcast is something I'm incredibly proud of. Welcome to season four. Thanks for joining me. All right, so welcome to the Lifestyle Chase. This is episode 208, and I have brought to the show the one and only Zach Couples. How are you today? Chris, I am spectacular, and I'm honored to be chatting with someone who shares the best haircut that you can possibly have. And it's it's funny because, like, as much as sometimes I'm like, oh, man, finally another, like, white bald guy. I'm like, oh, if I look mm-hmm. back at, like, the episodes, there's a lot of white bald guys <laughs> in the industry. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're here. We're ready to kick things off. And as we were talking about before the show, I kind of want my audience, if anybody doesn't know who you are, I want them to get to know you and kind of get to know what sets you apart. So usually I use the scenario, like if you're at a party, how would you introduce yourself? So with that being said, let's say you went to like a Halloween party or something and you're meeting a bunch of people for the first time. How would you uh, do that icebreaker? Well, it's a tough one because there's a lot of things that I keep myself occupied with. Uh, So I'm a physical therapist by trade first and foremost and and a strength conditioning coach. And uh, I work with a wide variety of people ranging from in in person. I work with a a lot of clients who are in persistent pain or who want to get back into the gym, but but they've been struggling or a lot of failed cases at uh, the the place I work in in Las Vegas, which is Elevate Sports Performance and Healthcare. That's one side. Then the other side is I run the website ZachCouples.com, which is a blog that offers a lot of educational opportunities for coaches and clinicians. That's, that's been my baby. I also do a lot of remote coaching, consulting, and, and mentoring to a lot of people in the industry. I'd say like my population I work with there is a lot of uh, fitness professionals and clinicians who they've maybe been training a certain way for an extended period of time and they've gotten beat up and they're like, I want to be able to train pain-free and uh, without problems. And so they end up coming to me. And the last thing that I do is I teach across the world my seminar, Human Matrix, which basically helps coaches and clinicians get a a thought process, a, a system that helps bring all of the systems in our industry together, because th- there seems to be a lot of camps in terms of how to, to best go about things. And we, we can't find that common agreement point on who we're dealing with when we're working with our clients. And in my mind, the agreement point is movement, and that's not going to be very different from person to person under a fundamental aspect. Like if, if you bend your elbow, it's going to happen very similarly for me than it is for you from a biomechanics perspective. And so I teach people what that common ground is, and then we look to build a movement foundation from the, the bottom up, essentially. So if you have someone who's severely deconditioned or they're in the rehab side of things or post-rehab side of things, and they don't have the ability to express just basic range of motion, we teach you how to do that. And then 
once you have that baseline, we then work on teaching people to be able to, to, to move under load with good technique, making sure they get the most out of their physical exercises that they would be doing in the gym pain-free. I love that. That's like the perfect intro and kind of gave me a bit to work with. Um, first of all, I will acknowledge there has been some buzz around this episode from other industry professionals like trainers getting excited to give this a listen. Um, with that being said, earlier in your career, if you were going to see like it might not have been a podcast, but it might have been like some kind of a publication or something that was released and it was somebody that you looked up to like who were the people that got you excited about this uh, field of work or this industry uh, the person who got me excited the most was bill hartman he's been my longtime mentor i remember when i was in pt school aside from learning like i i part of my <laughs> sicko tendencies is i get obsessed about a lot of different things and you know, if I if I'm into something, I go all in. And so like when I was in college, I was a, a runner and I was a mediocre runner at best. And I didn't want to be mediocre. So I did like everything in my power to be better than I was. And the same thing happened when it comes to training and, and physical therapy. So while I was in PT school, I was consuming a lot of Teen Nation at the time, men's health. And Bill Hartman's name kept coming up, coming up, coming up. And I enjoyed writing and and, and speaking. And I'm like, man, this guy's kind of doing what I want to do. I need to reach out to him. And so I reached out to him at some random email he had asking him, Hey, can I do a, a clinical affiliation with you? Because in, in PT school, you have to basically do apprenticeships in various, um, various settings. And he said, yes. And like the rest was history after that, that was the most transformative experience I could have asked for. So he was, he was someone who I really looked up to. Uh, other, other PTs that I would say I looked up to at the time were uh, Charlie Weingroff was big, Mike Reinhold. Um, all, of, all of those guys were like, man, they're, they're doing really cool things. I, I'm excited about this profession. Surprisingly, though, I feel as, as though there's more, at least at the time, but I'm as old as dirt, that there were a lot more trainers that I ended up following than PTs. And I think it was just more prevalent for trainers to be having blogs and, and being on podcasts and things of that. So Mike Robertson was a big influence, Eric Cressy, uh, Tony Gentilcore. Gosh, I'm trying to think, man, it's, that was so long ago, but, but like a lot of those guys, basically anyone who wrote for T Nation, I consumed their, their blogs. And like, I, I think Fortunately for me, having that well-rounded experience, experience of not being too siloed in my learning on the rehab side has helped me be a, a better physical therapist because where I think both sides lack, if you're really on the rehab side of things, is you eventually hit a stopping point with how far you can take someone because you can't effectively recondition them for higher level activities. And we don't we don't learn how to coach squatting, deadlifting, things like that in PT school. And that's one reason why I teach those things at my seminar. Conversely, on the trainer side of things, uh, our regressions that we might be able to have someone, maybe you have someone who is just really deconditioned and they need to improve their movement. Or you have someone who's post-rehab and, and they might not have gotten all of the basic constituents restored back that they need to be able to do a lot of the movements in the gym. Or... And, and I see this one a lot. You get someone who has been referred to PT and they've seen a lot of doctors and, and physicians and they can't 
they're having a hard time getting physically active. And I, and I think a, a trainer has a, has a role in that person, especially if all the red flags have been ruled out. And, and so we, we don't have as good of an effective ability to bridge the gap, I think, um, in, in our field. And, and fortunately, being able to, to consume and, and talk to and learn from both sides has, has helped me be better at bridging that gap and also helping me teach a lot of the, the trainers and, and staff who I work with at, at Elevate to, to do that as well. Well, I mean, there is a lot to unpack there. And like some of the things that stand out to me just based on stuff that I've been thinking about as of late is just like, you're good at finding out information. You're good at like putting all these things like kind of on your desktop to have to like delve through. Um, But we each respectively only have so much like capacity to remember things or to prioritize things. Like we're only going to be able to go in a certain direction. Like how do you decide like which information you're going to consume and how much of it and how you're going to retain it like how do you go through that process to kind of like move the needle forward so if if i can't apply the material readily then i generally avoid consuming it unless it's for fun because i think i think especially early in my career we'd have all these books that we read because the cool kids were reading it at the time. And, and two that come to mind are the polyvagal theory, which it's like, there's no application really with that. And, and actually there's questions if it's accurate or not. And the other thing was anti-fragile. I remember that was big for a period of time. And, you know, once you, once you get the concept of anti-fragility, it's like at the end of the day, it's not going to change what I do on the, on the rehab side or on the fitness floor. And so, I try to now really focus on what's the most immediate problem that I need to solve right now. And that could be, I have this case that I'm having a difficult time with, and I think consuming about this specific area might be useful. It could be that this person asked me a question on biologics, uh, you know, PRP, uh, stem cells, things like that. And well, I don't know much about that. So maybe I'm going to dive into that. Or it could be something personal, like, wow, you know, I'm having a really difficult time deciding what, what type of, like, the way I should be thinking about the problems that I solve. And, and, and maybe that leads me to devising better systems. Or, you know, oh, wow, you know, I, I'm trying to get into finances and I, I need to know where I should, you know, uh, put, my, put my money, essentially. So then I would learn about that. And so I think the, the most important thing when you're learning anything is if you don't have that application side of things, it will go in one ear and out the other because you'll forget about it. Being able to apply readily is critical. So you have to find ways to do that. And I, and I didn't think about it, but upon reflecting early in my career, when I first started my blog, most of what I had done were course notes about different continuing education that I was taking. So I'd take a class, I'd write up is like my best summary of that class and then I'd post it to the world. And that was my application because I had to think about the material that I was learning. So I would do that and then also use the, the things that I learned on my patients to see what worked. And, and, and I do that today, like with all of the teaching. Every time I post a YouTube video or I write a blog or I teach my seminar, I'm applying the material that's important to me. And I think that's what has helped me 
learn more effectively because I, I don't think like I'm the smartest person out there. Uh, there's, you know, especially when you, when you hang around people who've interned at IFAST, there's some brilliant minds, but what I do think I, I do well at is applying over and over again and, and simplifying things that I learn because I needed to be that simple in order to apply effectively. And so application is by far the most important thing that you can do when consuming any type of material. Well, I mean, that's important for people to hear and like understand. And uh, some of the things that I think about when I think about application is like refining that process and coming across the point where you kind of have it mastered. Um, Oftentimes people talk about how feedback is like a gift, like feedback uh, or like constructive criticism in anyone's career can be very helpful. Has there ever been a time where feedback or constructive criticism has been delivered to you where it's been just like almost hard to handle, even though it's benefited you down the road? Yeah, a lot of times. Um, and, and that's something I've definitely struggled with, I think, because I, at least growing up, I, I was someone who, if I had to work really, really hard, really, really hard, really, really hard, and anytime I failed, I would <laughs> kind of get punished by my, my mom. So not doing well, I think, caused me some some, some personal issues that I had to work through. But yeah, there, there were some times when I was working with Bill, when I was interning with him, that he gave me some feedback that was hard to take, but it ultimately helped me be a, a better PT. I think when I was, I worked in basketball for a little bit with the Memphis Grizzlies, and there were some things I, I did there that um, didn't go as well as I would like, or maybe, maybe ways that I could have been better. Like, I think during that time frame, I, I thought I was a good coach, and I wasn't, and my uh, friend, and, and he was um, one of my coworkers at the time, and now he's, he's big time, Eric Otter, uh, he gave me a lot, of, a lot of different feedback on things that I think was hard to hear in the beginning, but it ultimately led me to be being a better coach. And he also gave me feedback on what to do after I had gotten fired from Memphis. Um, and, and just instead of taking that personally, which I think was something I did a lot earlier in my career, um, I, I tried to use that to, to make myself better. And then I, I think the last time that really stood out feedback-wise for me that uh, has helped me a lot with my seminar is, um, you know, I, I would have Lucy, our, our, our mutual friend, who she, she, uh, she helps me from time to time with the seminar. She gives me a ton of feedback on what I can do better or this might flow a little bit more smoothly and things like that. And, uh, that's been, even though it's been hard at times, um, it's, it's been immensely helpful for, for making my seminar, uh, a lot better. And so I've, I've learned to embrace feedback on that front, even if, even if it's from someone who maybe I don't know, or I just don't have a relationship with, like sometimes negative comments on my YouTube channel, or if I have like a feedback form, um, that I, I give after my seminar, where it's like, whoa, you thought that? Even if it's something that's like, yeah, this is probably just someone trolling or things like that. I, I do take it into consideration and think like, and I try to step out of my bias to say, well, from this person's perspective, is, is that true? And could there be something that I would change? And, you know, if I can 
spend some time reflecting and thinking on it that way. Sometimes I do make that change, and uh, it, I, I think it's only for the better if I, if I do. Well, I think all of that is really important, and it's uh, when we're looking at a person progressing in their respective industry, um, one thing that we can empower them with to help them ascend is being equipped to take feedback, because if they're open to it, they're more likely to learn from the experience that the the experiences that they have rather than like uh, just stopping and like quitting altogether. I mean, like so much that's happened throughout the pandemic where people have been forced to learn through like obstacles um, has given people the opportunity to either take feedback very quickly or not and start all over again, like maybe in a different industry or just different, different anything. Um, so when it's come to your experience in learning how to handle feedback in the most productive way possible, what would you say would be like the tools in your toolbox for that? Like, what are the things that have made it easier for you? The, the thing that has helped the most is, is going through counseling and therapy, because I think that there were a lot of personal issues in terms of being able to receive feedback or, or thinking that I, I, I would take what they were saying as not, not a feedback on what I'm doing, but who I am. I had to work through that. And once I worked through that, and, and it's not like I'm, well, now I'm the man at it, but, but I'm able to at least say, no, I'm able to quiet that this is not about you. It's about an action that you're doing or, or it's about the other person. I think that's probably been the most transformative thing on that front. And, and the other thing too is you have to really be able to think about who's giving you the feedback and certain people are going to have more weight to their feedback. Their feedback is going to be more meaningful than others. It's just like, you know, if, Let's say you were asking someone about your, your financial situation. You're probably going to weight the feedback of someone who has a successful financial background and they're living the life that you want to live versus someone who is putting all of their money into the lottery. And they might both give you feedback on what to do, but someone has more weight than the other person. And you really have to think about that anytime you get feedback is, okay, is this person doing habits or things that I want to emulate? And if the answer is yes, you need to take that feedback seriously. And if the answer is no, you still want to think about what they're, what they're saying and, and step out of, of your biases and framework to see if there is any merit to that. But you might not put as much weight on those things. And I, so, and so I, I really think those two qualities of, of realizing that it's not personal and being able to prioritize feedback has, has been by far the, the most impactful. And, and the last thing I would say is I think people don't reflect enough on what they want to get out of this life because we, you know, well, I don't know what happens beyond this life. I, I do know that we have this one right here in front of us. And you really got to think about what do you want out of it? And reflecting on what your goals are, who you want to be as a person, professional, and, and, and things of that nature. Like, I, I think that's something that we, we do not do enough. Because if you, 
if you have at least not, maybe it won't be clear and maybe it's going to change, but you have somewhat of a framework of the things you want out of this life, then you can go and seek out people to, to give you good feedback on, on the things that are going to push you closer towards your goals. There's this thing that I read recently. It was about Warren Buffett and he was uh, asking this person to say, what are the, what are the 25 things or goals that you want to get out of life? And he, you know, this person wrote out those things. And then Warren Buffett says, which ones are the five most important that you have to get done? And the person went through and, and, and did those things. And then Warren Buffett told the person, hey, circle those five, cut out the remaining 20 and avoid those 20 at all costs. And I think that's a useful exercise that I don't think any of us do. So you really have to think about what is meaningful, what is important to you, and focus mercilessly on those things and cut out everything else. And and then I I think you'll be better adept at at being able to accept feedback that is relevant to what you're trying to do. Yeah, I mean... A lot of what you uh, put out there is is something that I can totally agree with. I mean, you you mentioned counseling and therapy, and that's something that I've mentioned in the last like feels like eight episodes in a row because uh, it it's something that if someone takes it very seriously, um, could be more valuable than a lot of other things that they could do. Um, it is probably the most genuine advice that uh, we could give to the listeners. Um, that would actually change their life because no matter what, that feedback's coming for you. So it's like, how are you going to handle it? Um, how are you going to position yourself to go in the direction that you want to go? And I like that you talked about uh, what are we going to get out of this life and how are we going to position ourselves to do so? Because I think that's important. And I think like that's something that I think about quite frequently. And I think about like how, like, who am I, who's feedback weighs more. And for me, like I'll, the template for me is honestly, do I want to trade places with that person right now? And if I do not, like, it's just going to be way different. Like it's, it's not going to have the same effect. Like if for, for me, I picture myself being a family man one day, I'm a bachelor at the moment. Um, so I'll look through, um, the people that I look up to and I'll be okay. Like, what does this person's life look like? What values do they have? Like values are incredibly important to me. Um, and I'll go from there. And I think when people can, can see that in, in the mentors that they have and the friends that they make, um, it'll help them in the long run. It might not look glamorous in the short term because you're not going to necessarily pick the most famous people or the most wealthy people, but you'll pick the people that help you find clarity through this crazy uh, life that we're on. Um, you mentioned that you're based out of Las Vegas, and that's kind of always been something that's gotten my my curiosity. Like, I've traveled there a couple times for fun little trips, and I've been like, what would inspire a person to live there? Like, is that a place where you've kind of been located out for quite a while, or, or what's the origin on that? Well, it's, it's great for uh, single, bald bachelors. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's not. <laughs> the dating scene is tough so maybe we can set up a lifestyle podcast at gmail.com if we have anyone interested in either of us <laughs> um, 
So uh, I actually moved out here March of last year, which is terrible timing <laughs> because I remember I remember the drive. So I was driving. I, I was staying in Lexington, Kentucky at the time, and I had to go like to Memphis, Tennessee to get some of my stuff because I had stuff in storage there. And then I went home to see my family in Illinois, and then I drove out. And I was just hearing all these things about the COVID. And I stopped in Nebraska for one of my stops. And I remember I went to this coffee shop and it said, uh, we're closed because everyone has the flu right now. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I can't go there. And then I get to uh, uh, Vegas. And I remember I started work on a Monday. And then the governor said, yo, we got to close everything on that Wednesday. And it was just very bizarre times. I mean, fortunately, things have worked out. Uh, the gym that I work at is doing well. Uh, the online stuff's going pretty well, too. So I, I'm grateful that I, I was able to make it out here. But what, what brought me out here was a few things. One, Elevate was one because I was I kind of hit a crossroads with what I could do online. Like I was getting busy enough that doing a full-time job was really tough. And I knew I was doing travel physical therapy at the time. And I knew that wasn't like my long-term situation. I really like warm weather. So that really narrowed down where I wanted to go. And so I had, I had this thought in my mind that I'm probably either going to move to Las Vegas, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Austin, Texas, or or uh, somewhere in Florida. Those were kind of like the, the areas I was thinking about because warm weather, relatively inexpensive cost of living, uh, no state income tax in three out of the four places. And, and just, you know, I, I also thought too that for what I wanted to do in person that there weren't a lot of people that I knew there. So my thought would be maybe I could, maybe I could do something as a PT in any of those places. And I, uh, through mutual friends, I found out about Elevate and it was kind of the perfect situation where I could work part time. And it was one of the cities I wanted to live in. And so I had visited here many times. And I, when I in interviewed with Elevate, I got to kind of see a side of Vegas that you don't normally see because everyone thinks Vegas is just a strip. And it's so much more than that. It's, uh, I think the things that I like about Las Vegas, which is why I'm selling everyone hard on moving here. And I'm not far off because it's the number two state or place people moved to in 2020. Um, there's, there's tons of good hiking nearby. I'm a big hiker. Even with like, within the city or within a 30 minute drive, you can get to some really cool places. It's uh, the cost of living, although it's, it's rising rent wise, like there's no state income tax and it's still relatively inexpensive. There's so much to do. Everyone passes through here. Um, that's another thing. Uh, people come to Vegas a lot, so I can meet up with a lot of cool people when they're in town. The airport is probably one of the best in the U.S. in terms of direct flights. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had a connecting flight, it, it's been, <laughs> which has been really cool. And there's a lot of good places to eat, and there's a lot of cool things to do off-strip. And the last thing, and probably the most important thing, is the escape room scene here in Las Vegas is lit. I'm like a huge escape room junkie. I've done, I did my first one in 2019, and I, I, unfortunately I've been slacking a little bit, but I've done over 40. 
Um, and v- Vegas is like probably in the top three or four places for escape rooms. So because of all that and, uh, and like that was a big allure. And, and I've been also very fortunate that I've met a lot of people in the industry and where I work at Elevate. Like I've been able to make a, a lot of friends. And I remember when I went to uh, Ben House's retreat at, at Flow. There was a lot of people from Austin. I'm like, man, there's such a good network of like cool people there. And I think the same thing about New York. And it's like, man, I would love to have that wherever I end up going. And and Vegas kind of has that. It, it's just I, I think we just don't talk about how, how cool the people here are in Vegas in the industry. And so it's uh, it's kind of done everything for me. And my my really big litmus test is usually at about a year and a half wherever I'm living, I kind of get the itch to move and I'm far from having that here. So because of that, I would strongly consider anyone who's listening to move to Las Vegas, check it out. It's so much more than the strip because I'm not, I'm not a partier by any means. So um, if I can like it, you can like it. I love that. Um, some of the things that I was thinking about as we were preparing and it kind of aligns with what you've talked about with like, Especially that part where you're like, usually get this itch to move, like after a year and a half kind of thing. And I feel like a lot of people are kind of in a situation where they're longing for change or they're feeling that itch, um, but they're getting in their own way. And like, I'll use an example. There was one of my friends on Instagram uh, recently posted, like, they're going to just turn things around in November. Like, November is going to be their month. And I was like, hey, just like reverse engineer it, like figure out what your big goal is and then place that at the end of the month and then uh, figure out some things that you can structure into the month to make it so that you're at your goal by the end. But like when it comes to you kind of putting the logistics in place to make these moves possible, like you talked about like the different state taxes and all the variables, like what do you do to facilitate like a, a big move like this? Like what what's the process that happens? That's a good question. I, <laughs> it shows how much I've actually planned for this type of move. Um, I'm very risk averse generally. And um, a lot of it was just like I knew I mean, my initial plan before Elevate even happened was I was going to save up enough money to go test out each area for a few months. And so a lot of it was doing all that I could to mitigate the risk of a potential move. And so that was making sure I saved up enough money, uh, making sure I was doing everything I could online to make enough money to where I wouldn't have to dip into savings, things like that. And, and so that was one thing. And then the other thing was just really, I, th- I think, reflecting on some of the things that are important to me. Well, I'm risk averse. Uh, stay with no income tax will probably help with that because I'd be able to to make more money to uh, you know not take a a financial hit because I, I mean it's something in the past where I I think I didn't take finances as seriously as I do now um, and, and then it I, like I think finding Elevate was just a, a stroke of luck for me that allowed the move to to happen but then what I do, what I, what I did like with the move itself was just come up with a checklist of things that I needed to do. And so I literally just make a checklist on Evernote and it was 
okay, you gotta, you gotta get your stuff out of Memphis and you're gonna do it on this day. It's gonna take this amount of time. And then, okay, you gotta go see family before you go. Um, okay, what am I gonna do about living? Well, fortunately, my brother lives out here, so I didn't have to find an apartment immediately. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna reach out to my bro and say, hey man, can I hang with you for a bit? It was gonna be like two weeks. <laughs> That'd be in four months because I'm like, oh, this COVID thing. I don't know if uh, this is going to work out. So, I mean, I was very lucky on that front. And so I just, I mean, really, I I just looked at all the steps that I needed to make the move happen. And it was check the box, check the box, check the box. And it, and it worked out. And I will say, I think your thought process of inverting the goal it's very, uh, it's very Charlie Munger of you. I don't know if you follow Charlie, but uh, he, he, it was, it was good. Um, I, I think that that's really, really useful. So, um, and I, and I don't know if I like did that right there, but I just looked at all the factors that I needed to to make that move happen, and and I, and I did it that way. But I also would say if you have someone who's trying to have some type of big, hairy, audacious goal that they want to meet in a short time frame. Well, having a deadline is useful because otherwise you're going to procrastinate it. So I do like by November, I'm going to do this. But I also think you have to be realistic about breaking down the steps and not trying to do everything at once. So if you know you want to improve your body composition, it's probably not going to be successful. If you start an exercise program, you're going to completely overhaul your diet. You're going to sleep nine hours a day. You're going to stop talking to your friends who go party and the strip every weekend, et cetera, et cetera. You, you probably want to uh, just, just hit one, one important thing at a time or one low hanging fruit um, that that's going to at least nudge you in the right direction. And so I guess that's, that's how I did that. It, <laughs> it's funny. It's like, it, yeah, I probably should have been a little bit more structured on my move, but um, maybe it was structured enough for me to have a successful outcome. Some of the things that stood out when you were sharing all that stuff with me was just the fact that you used Evernote. Like that's underrated. Like I use uh, I use Google Calendar and now I use like the Apple Notes. Like like it's basically my wallet. I mean, like nothing avoids that framework. Every podcast that I record goes into Google Calendar. Every little task, every if I have to, like yesterday I went to the gym and I filmed exercises for one of my remote clients and then I just put the videos into notes and then took them from the notes and put them onto PD distinction and it just like the flow and the framework and just the scalability is just, it's a game changer. And so when people start to latch on to little things like that, um, it can make a bigger impact than what they give it credit for. Like they could go and try and just change the world in one fell swoop. Or they could do little things like use a to-do list or use a cloud-based note system. Um, as I was kind of talking there, it almost looked like you had something to say. So I'll like, what, what are your thoughts when, when we're kind of discussing like the notes and all that stuff? Yeah, well, first off, I think that's super cool that you are doing all that. And it was like, when you're saying that's like, oh yeah, I do that too. Um, I think that having that flow and thought process, um, it just saves so much mental energy because if you're thinking in the back of your head, okay, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do that. 
that's that's cognitive resources that you're wasting that you won't be able to use with something more meaningful and and i have a very similar approach to you i i am militant about google calendar like that's the only way i get anything done or scheduled especially me like it's it's hard for me to like i have to think i'm already thinking in like december and january now um which has its pros and cons it's like i get stuff done but then it doesn't allow me flexibility to to be as social as i should be um but i i use that i use evernote for like bigger things i i use google keep for immediate notes and actually i have a, a whiteboard over here that has like all of my things that i need to get done today and and like you i i have like okay this 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 and this i know it needs to get done i'm going to put a number by one like this is the first thing i'm gonna do second thing third thing and that has helped me a lot get a lot of stuff done and the other thing that i think is is really important and this probably goes back to uh um having sort of a beacon to know where you need to go is i have this list uh it's two things um have you heard of patrick bet david chris do you know who that uh is? it's ringing you know a bell yeah yeah he's, he's like a he, well he runs an MLM, which is kind of like, meh. But, but his valuetainment uh, YouTube channel is, it was, was game-changing for like, some of the entrepreneurial stuff. But he's got a book called Your Next Five Moves that I think was really important. He, he talks about like, really good chess players know their next five moves. And like, if you want to be a grandmaster, you need to know your next 15 moves. And so I have written right here my next 15 moves for both my business and my life and i always put the top five on the board so that way i know okay these are the the things i really need to accomplish right now and then i have the remaining on on the list and so i'm trying to like cross off those those chess moves essentially to get done and so that's kind of how i operate I, I i have like a mix of tech and paper um, and I think the tech is useful for more long-term projects or like if I have, like I, I'm going to be teaching this weekend in Charlotte. So I have like a checklist online that I'm not going to write it all down, but I know it's like the standard operating procedure that I need to hit these things in order to have the seminar be what it is, make the move smooth. So yeah, I got, I got a little juiced up when you were talking about your process. Cause I love hearing like how people do things. And I mean, you, you might, you might have something that's more efficient than what I do. And so then I'm going to, steal it from you <laughs> well it's hilarious that you talked about whiteboards because i just I, I started chuckling because to my left is two whiteboards and to my right in my kitchen is another whiteboard so i got the big whiteboard in my kitchen where that's like uh weekly tasks so things like grocery shopping or um like deadlines um where i know that i have to hit on a task but i can do it like within a day but I have to do it by a certain day. And then over here is like, uh, to my left is when you mention something or when I hear it on somebody else's podcast and I want to follow up on it. I put that stuff on one of the boards. And then another one is like, uh, if I am doing some online training and I have to uh, set the sessions for certain like days of the week and I don't want to forget it, I might write that down there. Then I have a notebook where I write just like, this is like my, my free space. And so every episode gets a page. Sometimes I fill it up. Sometimes it's just the episode and the name. 
Um, and then as I am like, uh, working to publish it, I'll look at, uh, certain topics that were covered and then I'll write that down once so that I don't have to go back and listen and think like, what did we talk about? What stood out to me the most? And then that goes into a note and I'm able to paste that into YouTube and Podbean and all that stuff. So we're basically like same shit, different pile. <laughs> so it's kind of cool to, to learn that about you. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I, I need to step up my whiteboard game. <laughs> that's impressive. Um, yeah. It must, you know, it must be a bald guy thing. That's, that's what I'm thinking it is, man. That's, you know, well, I mean, it's think alike. a lot of like confirmation bias, like the way that we've crossed <laughs> paths is like, we're following and connecting with people that we kind of agree with that share a lot of the same values that, um, just see the world in similar ways. And it's only a matter of time before people who think very similarly, who like the same haircut are going to cross paths. Um, mm. something that, uh, you talked about, you, you mentioned the guy whose name I kind of heard of, but I didn't know him well. And then you said how he was MLM and it got me thinking about like how it's important to learn the path of the people that we don't necessarily completely agree with, because if you don't, you're missing out. Like, doesn't matter. You could hate the person. They still got something to teach you. And like, I listen to a very diverse selection of podcasts to become a better podcast host. And I share half of them. And it's like, so people might think that uh, I'm just very uh, narrow-minded in what I listen to. But no, because otherwise I'm never going to get better. I'm just going to stay the same and never progress and never improve. Um, so it's just like, as we get on that topic of getting outside of our echo chamber with our learning, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's immensely important um, because I think if you dive too far into your own bias and you never look at ways to challenge that bias it ultimately doesn't let you grow and that doesn't mean that you're going to completely flip the way you think although you might sometimes you should be open to that um it, it will at least allow you to formulate arguments uh, against the the opposing view um stronger or or to help you solve problems that maybe you weren't seeing because uh there was this thing i, I used to have at my seminar where it was this two-dimensional uh it's like a gif of a, a dancing woman do you, do you know what i'm talking about where yeah. she's spinning a certain way yeah it sounds familiar yeah and so well it's like 33 percent of the people think she's spinning this way 33 percent think she's spinning another way and 33 percent these aren't accurate numbers but illustrates the point you know we'll spin one way and then we'll spin another and so the point is by by that is we see the world differently and there's going to be people based on their genetics, past experiences, beliefs, et cetera, who, who see the, the same picture that you're looking at. And, you know, maybe this is a client from a completely different perspective. And it could be a perspective that is antagonistic to yours. And it's important to look at that perspective and try to understand it as best as possible instead of dismissing it. Because if you can, and I, I talk about this a lot because I, I think it's something that on the internet we don't do enough. <laughs> it's easy to just talk smack on an Instagram comment 
as opposed to really understanding the other other person is uh, steel manning. Uh, straw man arguments are, are very common to hear. That's where you like take someone out of context and poo-poo them. But I, I think if you can set up the other person's argument so strongly in a manner that if you repeated back to them what you think they're saying, that they could be like, man, I wish I would have said it that way. Um, then and only then, I think, is it appropriate to potentially dismantle what they're saying. And who knows, maybe as you're formulating that thought process, it could change the way you think about things. And I try to do that with some of uh, the detractors of maybe the way that I think, uh, you know, like personally with, uh, I'm a big biomechanics junkie. And, and I think some of the detracting views from biomechanics are either um, the biotensegrity approach, which is something that I'm starting to read into more just because I think there's a hole there. And then the second thing is there's just the, the nihilism around biomechanics of does it even really matter? Like, should we just be encouraging people to move and so on and so forth? And, and those are things I think about a lot. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think it depends on the person. Um, but I, I try to formulate and really reflect on those opposing viewpoints as much as I can. And I think doing that has only made me a better coach, clinician, and, and teacher. So we, we can't. We can't just be having our blinders on with everything because it, 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 having those blinders might limit the solutions that we'll be able to provide for our people. And that's ultimately what it comes down to is we're here to help people. And the more ways that we can help people, the better. Well, there's a lot of takeaways from that. And even if somebody was to take that steel man approach and start practicing it, it's only going to benefit them. It's inevitably going to take more work and more energy and it's going to feel like they're actually expressing some effort towards their goal. But um, they're going to have such a strong comprehension of, of the direction that they seemingly want to go. And they're going to be able to um, utilize that knowledge in so many ways that they never previously thought possible. Um, there's sort of like a question that I want to unpack with you to kind of get into like what what things that you do now that at one point um, you didn't think would be possible. So I'll, I'll rephrase it here. So essentially, let's say you're reflecting on all the things that you do in this present moment within this week that you're really proud of, that uh, are the most effective things in your career. Maybe it's uh, uh, your teaching. Maybe it is the work that you do through online streams. Like maybe it's your content production. But if you picked three, within those three, um, what is at least one of them where you got so much pushback in the early stages that you thought this isn't feasible, this won't work? Like, let's let's uh, talk about that. Man, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, I mean, hmm. where I got pushback. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky. Like, I think the pushback that I do get on um, certain things is is very minimal. At least what I what I teach and and what I do. Um, man, I'll give you some material to kind of work with to maybe Please get do, you on yeah. the same page. So, like for <laughs> for myself, uh, within all the things that I do. Um, the podcast stands out to me. 
the podcast is something that I look at as being like a really long term goal. Like one day I'm going to have this as an income stream um, where it actually supports me. One day it'll be something where it will facilitate my travel. And it's I look like an idiot telling people that because it's not where it is now. Like it's definitely given me lots of opportunities but it's not quite there. But because I can kind of see what I have to do to get there and I'm doing the things that I have to do to get there, I can see it unfolding. And so that would be an example of something that takes up a fair bit of my bandwidth today um, that uh, maybe when I first started, like when I first started, people said that I was starting a podcast because everybody at the place I was at was starting a podcast. So I was just going to do what they did. And now I've put out more episodes than all of them. And so it's like, anytime somebody starts something new, they're always going to get something, some kind of a troll or some comment or something that kind of gets in their head. It almost makes them want to just stop it all together. I think this isn't worth it. Um, and then as time goes on, they start to pick up steam. So that's kind of my example. So if you can kind of like draw from that, where is a correlation, like something where you feel similarly for yourself? You know, and it, it, I was listening to you and I, and I, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of when I've gotten pushback from things really in my career trajectory. Like even when I started the blog, um, I got a lot of overwhelming support, which has been really cool. And like even the seminar, like my, my seminar, um, the only reason my seminar exists is because one of my buddies, Dr. Mike Lee out in Seattle was like, Hey Zach, I want to hear you teach. And it's like, Oh, okay. And, and so I think, I think maybe because I am slow going, <laughs> getting things done that and, and that and because I'm very risk averse, it's almost it's almost as though the, the reason why these things are happening is just like, oh, I guess this is what I'm doing now. Like I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. And it, but dang it, the fam just wanted me to be an entrepreneur because I kept getting more and more traction. I think. You know, if I had to think back to like times where I maybe got some pushback is like in in undergrad, I was going ham on school and ham on running. And I wanted to be a Cairo at the time. And I remember my grandma, uh, bless her heart, unfortunately, she just passed away. But she would always tell me, look, you can either be a, a chiropractor or PT or a, a runner, but you can't be both. And when I watched uh, the last dance, Michael Jordan, you know, and he was like, so I took that personal. Well, I res that resonated with me so much. I'm like, this must be an Illinois thing because, uh, I, I, I took that personal <laughs> and I sought out to prove her wrong. And I did because I was able to have a, a fairly good running career and I was able to, do well in school and you know there were there were other times that maybe that wasn't said outright but 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 it happened like i remember uh another time that i did get pushed back now that now that that i'm thinking about it was i was in my orthopedic residency and i had to give a presentation and if you've watched any of my content, you, you know that I try to be humorous to, to, to make it engaging. 
and I, I try to be very lively. And I was, I was lively and humorous with my presentation. And I got a ton of laughs from everyone except one of my instructors. And he gave me super negative feedback. And he was upset with some of the things that I had said. And it wasn't like I said something incredibly offensive. I think uh, I remember what it was. So Kevin Wilk is a, uh, a, 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 he's a fairly famous physical therapist. He, he works, he's like James Andrews. He's like one of the world-renowned surgeons in a lot of pro sports like he's his, his PT guy and so like I was talking about something that he did and in in terms of like a protocol they had for ACLs and I called like I titled it Big Wilkie style off of Big Willie style which you know it's hip-hop it's funny got some laughs with it and my my instructor was furious about that and I was like really like and, and I thought about that and I look to where I'm at now and the way I present now, it's like, I'm very fortunate that people will pay, pay to learn from me. But like, I also think some of it is like, they're going to get a show and they come and see me and they know that. And it's like, no, that, that was actually the right move. Like I, I needed to stay true to who I was and, and how I present things. And, and I think that was another time where someone challenged me with the way that I, I am and I present my material and I ended up being right in the end. And I think the, uh, the third time I would say that I've had an experience similar to that. And this was probably just self-talk was after I got fired from Memphis, you know, um, that was, I think at the time I thought like, wow, I'm in pro sports. Like I've made it. And I was very young when, when that happened, I was, you know, just a few years out of PT school and I'm like, man, this is cool. I'm here. And then that got taken away from me and that that took a major hit you know because uh, it's just like wow you know i was here and i lost it and but at the same time and again i give kudos to my buddy eric for kind of helping me work through that it's like you know you gotta get back on teaching and the blog and things like that and even though it wasn't like outright said i think the actions in my mind were like you're not good enough well I'm going to show you that I can do this that much better. And here I am today. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, at that point in time, this is 2017, it's 2021. Now uh, in that time period, I'm, I've been able to take something that was just fun for me and you know, something to enhance my learning and, and make it a full fledged business that I do full time. And I, I, I reflecting back on that, it's like, <laughs> Having used that spite to give me just that initial fuel in the beginning uh, has has helped me make something that uh, you know I'm, I, I get a lot of feedback that people find valuable and I'm, I'm grateful that people do and you know I'm I'm grateful for the detractors I'm grateful for the haters <laughs> because um, you got to think about it when when you give me a little hate a little negative feedback I'm going to be like MJ and I'm going to say okay fine. And then I'll prove to you that it wasn't. So that's probably the closest that I would say I've, I've come to that experience now that you've um, so eloquently directed me in a, in a way that I could call back on, on those experiences. Well, I think it's important to have that because like a lot of people come across their first instance where um, things aren't quite going their way and they just think it's over. Like that's the end. But like, if you go through it enough times, um, like, for example, in the first, like, 
as a trainer in the first few months, like eight months as a trainer, they shut down the gym. So then I found a new gym. And then I moved to a different gym because I had more friends at the other gym. Cause, so I was a contractor like eight months into my career. I was at my third gym. And then like a year later, COVID happened and it closed, opened, closed, opened, closed, opened. Um, so like at any point, me and many, many other of my friends and colleagues could have just thrown in the hat and quit. Um, but a lot of people came out of that experience better for it. And so if we're able to see it from the frame of mind that, uh, granted we need to have a great deal of self-awareness, maybe some counseling and therapy. Um, if we're able to see that situation and what it can be for us, it makes the whole experience a lot more exciting. Um, makes people feel a lot more reassured in the direction that they're, they're going and gives people a reason to plan for success, to start reverse engineering their big goals and to start figuring out what their values are in life and what direction that they want to go. Um, but to kind of keep us on track for time, there is something that I do with all my guests and I get them to give the audience a challenge for the day. So don't overthink it. Just kind of think of something that you think if somebody listened to the podcast on any given day and they took on your challenge, um, like think of something that would make their day maybe a bit better or would make them see the world differently or would just enhance their life. So whenever you feel ready, um, just be like your challenge for the day is and just uh, dish it out to them. Your challenge for today, November 1st, 2021, is I want you to, well, now it's going to come out, not on November 1st, but um, your challenge for today is can you live today and do all the things that you want to do and get done today to the point where when you get down for bed, if this was your last day on this earth, you would have been content and, and happy with all of the things that you had done on that day. And as you reflect back on that, if there are things that that's not the case, see if you can pivot or eliminate those things away on the next day, assuming that you get a next day, because we, we don't know. We like, we, we never know when our number is going to be called. So, um, that's something that I, I think about a lot on a daily basis. And, you know, there, there's, there's some nights where I don't go to bed with a smile on my face, but there's others where I do. And I try to do things more that, that give me smiles before I go to bed than not. So that's my challenge. Absolutely. And that's the, we're back to our little, uh, echo chamber here. That's the same thing that I try and impart on people. Um, because life happens very quickly, things happen unexpectedly. Um, and when people are reflecting on what they're going to do, I really hope that they look at it from a bigger picture with their personal life and their professional life and not just with their professional life, because life is more ju than just like paying bills and dying. <laughs> and so we got to make sure that we're uh, getting what's ours in this human experience. Um, but with all of that being said, I'd like to thank you so much for, for coming on the show today, making your debut on the lifestyle chase. Well, Chris, uh, you're an excellent podcast host. Thank you for having me. You have an even better haircut. Uh, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> 